Well, good morning. Uh, I was thinking this morning as I was uh, getting ready to come, this, this phrase kept going through my head. Oh, I get to honor the Father today. I get to honor the Father. And that's really the, the posture that we want to take as we just move into this space now. We get to honor the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, that which gave us life, the one that gave his only son, laid down his life, present in this space today. We get to lift him up. We get to look upon his glory. We get to declare his glory today in this space. And so that's what we do. We just move towards you, Father. We honor you as Father over heaven and earth and over our hearts today, God. And we move towards you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our thoughts, with all of our energy, with all of our expression. We move towards you today, God. And we give you all the honor and all the glory that you are worthy of today. A few minutes ago, Ben said, let's, let's lift our hands like this. Right before he said that, I lifted my hands. Not because it fulfilled some artificial criteria of this is what we do here. We lift our hands. But it was a natural outcome of a desire. And when I lifted my hands, I immediately saw all different kinds of vegetation because I've been out in the yard this week looking at weeds, looking at grass, and they all have a similar posture. They're like this. They're made that way because they capture something. The leaves are spread out like this. Trees with branches are spread out to capture the sustenance of the life that comes down from the rain. And we can make lifting our hands a a criteria for worship because it's in the Bible. Or we can organically respond to desire. We can do both. Sometimes you need to bring your flesh into subjection when pride says, I I don't want to do this, I don't want to lift my hands, I don't want to clap, I don't want to dance. No, you will, because the Word says, then that's great. But at some point, it also must become a spontaneous manifestation of desire, of affection, of love. So we want to say, Lord, you're all we want. Come on, let's sing that to him. You're all we want. Father, we want to say today, you, you are the lifeblood of our existence. You are the strand of life. You are our source. You are the way. You are the truth. You and you alone. You and you alone do we honor today. Bless you. All right.
How's everybody doing today? <laughs> Glory to God. Well, let's not talk about COVID this morning. Let's not talk about lockdowns. Let's talk about kingdom. Let's talk about release. Let's talk about freedom. All right. Father, thank you, God. Thank you, God. We just, just let's lean into him for a second. God, we say right now in Jesus' name, God, we long for the truth of your word to change us. God, we long for you to speak something that changes us, Lord, today. We pray in Jesus' name. Now, one of my favorite passages of scripture, I have many favorites. Somebody asked me, what's your favorite passage? I can narrow it down to my top hundred. Because there's just, it's so beautiful. This, the, the poetry, the symmetry of the word of God as I'm writing or reading and listening to the word. It's just fantastic. And, uh, but I'm going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3 for a little bit here today. But the reason I'm looking at it is because I want to answer a question that we sometimes have. And I want to relate that question to uh, a frustration that we often experience. But here's the thing, is when we are children and our parents give us a response to our situation, we implicitly understand something. We understand that they know more than us, right? When we say to my, you know, we're in the car, we're driving, you know, you're, you played your first game of Yahtzee or whatever, and you're already bored to death. And mom says, look out the window. Count blue cars. Play punch bug. You know, all the things we used to play. Eventually, the question surfaces, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because, you know, as kids, we, we have no ability to take in the full breadth of the journey. And so we, we survive it by a couple of things. One of them is leaning on the knowledge of our parents that they know where they're going, all right? We may not like it, but at least we're, we're stuck in the car because, well, we can't leave. They're going 60 miles an hour. But, you know, we're, we, we actually know we're not there yet, and we're, we're on this journey. But what if, what if there was a similar journey, a spiritual journey, and you start getting frustrated, and you start wondering where we are. And you start asking those same questions, except you have the option to start the, stop the car and get out at any time you feel like it. How many of us are going to make it to that destination? If we have power over the velocity of the vehicle, if we have power over the brakes, if we can opt out at any time, and say, yeah, this far, no further. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this journey. I, I don't understand where we're going. I don't trust the people leading this. You know, at least as when you're a child, you, you kind of submitted, you have that sense of respect. Well, you must, you're driving the vehicle, I'm not. But what happens when it's church, when it's kingdom things? And see, the reality is we say, oh, we, we trust people, but we don't. We don't trust people. We trust ourselves. We trust 
our present understanding about the journey. And as soon as we reach the maximum level of, you know, stretching, I don't understand this, then we start to think about getting off this train. Wow. Man, oh man. I, I run into that all the time. And, and for a number of different reasons, but, but one of the reasons is pastors and leaders have mistakenly perhaps sincerely, but mistakenly created off-ramps for the sheep to satiate, to satisfy their lack of understanding and their impatience. Because God forbid that we would ever do something that people don't understand. Right? We would never want to ask people to go on a journey that they're not completely comfortable with. We want to, at every juncture, all along the way, tell them, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Would you like some ice cream with that? When I think of Jesus, when he faced, and of course he had disciples who were equally frustrated at one time. You know, you go back and you read, this they did not understand. Even when he said, do you understand this? And they said, yes. He knew they were lying. They didn't understand and you know what? He didn't placate that lack of understanding. He did, not, he did not satisfy that frustration with some diversion. Because he knew where he was taking them. He knew what he intended for their lives. He knew what he was calling them up into. And I want to declare today that the church of this generation is going to begin to touch an understanding of the kingdom goal, of the eternal goal, the thing that God has had in mind for generations when he imagined a people who would be volunteers in the Davis power, when he imagined sons in full maturity, when he locked creation into a space where he said, you will be limited until the sons of God appear, but you will recognize the moment that they emerge. So when Jesus was dealing with his disciples, he he wasn't bothered by their frustration. In fact, when they didn't believe, he said, do you want to leave as well? What is this thing that we've done in church where we have catered to every frustration? When I see moms doing that with their kids, it makes me shudder. Oh, that didn't go over well. <laughs> Dads do it too. <laughs> but you know, we're trying to raise children into adults. We're trying to move them. And you know, if you never, you know, oh, you don't want to make your bed. Okay, let me make it for you. Oh, you don't want to do chores. That's okay. Go play video games. Oh, you know, you know I mean, if we, if we live that way, making sure our kids never have a moment of discomfort. It doesn't work in the natural. It doesn't work in the spiritual. Hello? But, but Jesus understood what he was bringing them to. The reason why we can put measures and, and put demands on our children is we know what we're taking them to. If I don't, if I don't make you work when you don't want to, the day's going to come when you're going to live uh, but through handouts from the government. (laughs) 
wow, yeah, that'll, that'll never happen. You see, raising kids is hard. Raising children, spiritual children, into mature adults is even harder. Because kids, at least we have some autonomy over them, some authority, some ability to say, you, you may not leave your room, you must finish your homework, you must eat all those peas, you know. Whatever it is, whatever value you think it's important, you know. But, but you don't give them the option to opt out all the time because you know where it's going to go. So, Father, forgive your church, forgive leaders for constantly giving the children of God an option to opt out of something, to say, well, this, this thing is, is, uh, is voluntary in the sense that, ah, take it or leave it. God. And we have produced something less than God has imagined. Now, yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop beating that horse. My mom made me weed the garden. It was the worst days of my life. There was nothing sadder than getting up on Saturday morning, and my mom announced to us, "We're going to the garden." It's as bad as putting spinach in the lasagna, Mom. I mean, who does that? A perfectly good meal as a child. And my mom started putting lasagna in it. And not just a little, a whole inch. (laughs) But I'm saying these things because, because, yes, leaders have, for lack of courage, for for, 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 the, for the purpose of maintaining the reputation and the following, to satisfy the need for popularity so that nobody ever gets upset at us. We have created outs which should not be there for the people of God. But it has re- resulted in, in schisms in the body that shouldn't be there. I mean, I, I run into this all the time. Ah, I don't want to go into that. That's, but uh, let me tell you, it's frustrating for me, but I know this is the hope that God has already said he's going to have a people who are going to fully fulfill the desire of his heart. But let's talk about this frustration for a second, because I've seen this experience of people where you're calling them up into the invisible. Faith is touching the invisible, not seeing with the natural eye, but the spiritual eye. And you think, well... I'm a new Christian. I'm not sure I have a spiritual eye. Well, you'll get there if you stick with the program. But, you know, you have this scenario where you're calling people up into something, something that's less and less tangible. If you're actually going to build people of faith, they have to interact increasingly with an invisible world. And so to do that, we're actually building a skill set within you. We're actually developing senses that are beyond your natural senses, right? And so what happens, though, is people, God makes it easy for you at first. This is how God makes it easy. He gives you, he throws you a bone. What kind of bone? Like, you know, an experience. People come and visit our church. Some people come in, of course, and they're out the door before the first five minutes. You know, as soon as they see the dancers, as soon as they see the flags, as soon as they see skinny jeans on the stage. But, you know, the sincere seekers who love the presence of God, when they come into a place where the presence of God is, they, they love it. 
And I've seen this scenario again and again where people come in like the presence of God here is so rich. Hallelujah. And that becomes the, the hook. Okay. I think I'm going to start coming to church here. It doesn't last forever. Because that titillation of your need to have a, 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 a reinforcement that this thing is great only lasts for a little while. It's kind of like the military commercials. Have you seen those military commercials? Man, I want to be a soldier. It's like, like, look at the things they get to do. It's amazing. The commercials are, are beyond imagination. Like, everybody's right. I'm signing up today, you know. But you actually go into the military, and it's not at all like the commercial. The commercial was the hook. The commercial was, you might get to shoot guns. The reality is, here's your 50-pound pack, and there's the 20-mile trek. Go. Right? But it's hot out. <laughs> Can, where's the air conditioning? Can I have a snack? Do I get chocolate bars for the road at least? Can I take my time? Can I saunter? Chop, chop, boys. Right? So, so what it takes to make you a soldier and the commercial used to get you to sign up are very different. Do you know God does the same thing? He hooks you with something that you want to get something that he wants, which is something you want. At the end of the day, it's all for your benefit. He was, he was wanting to bring you into epic freedom. He is wanting to bring you to a place where you're free from all the forces of the earth, from all the leadings of the flesh, from all the enticements of sin. He wants to free you from that. That's, that's his hope. That's his dream. So you get saved with that. You get freed from something. And he said, all right, let's, let's keep going. More liberty. Yes, more liberty. Okay, it involves a little death. What? That is the reality of the journey. Now, here's the, here's the tough part. At any time, you can opt out. At any time, you can say, I don't understand this. I don't know where we're going. Are we there yet? You said, no, I've asked you four times. I don't understand where, what, what this is about. I, this journey's too long for me. Every time I did this with my mom, she gave me, you know, we stopped every five minutes and had ice cream and cookies. So God is saying, I want to take you on a journey that's longer than you can imagine without needing to take breaks every five minutes. That's a part of maturity. I remember when I, I finished high school early. I was, I was 16, turned 17 January, first graduated uh, school the 30th of January. So I was pretty young. I thought, this is so great. And then I started working for a living. <laughs> and I thought... I had to work out in an Alberta winter outside. Uh, I had to bring my own lunch. I had to make my own lunch. I couldn't quit at three. I didn't get Christmas vacations off. It's like, uh, let's go back to school. <laughs> but the nature of the journey involves usually hardship, tension, 
struggles that more that are greater than we can imagine. So we start asking the question, out of our frustration, what are we doing? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in the spirit from people in this room, some of whom are not here before anymore because they just stopped understanding the value of the journey. And uh, so I want to, I, I wrote something here. We say these things. We ask the question, uh, not only are we there yet, but what are we doing out of frustration when we don't understand the value of what we're doing? Right, you say, say to the kids, right, okay, start taking out all the weeds, you know, and you make it fun. You know, you go, oh, here's one. Oh, here's another. Oh, can I do that one, Mommy? Yes. <laughs> but it quickly ceases to be fun. And then what? It's like, okay, no, I'm done. No, but you must. Wait a minute. But you, you, you don't, if you don't graduate, if you don't, if you don't come out of that childish need to be entertained, then the value of the journey, if it's not replaced by the value of the journey at that point, you stop your progression. Father, I pray, God, right now, I pray right now that you would begin to erase. I, I see I see a, 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 almost a kind of a conditioning that's been provided by, by unbelief, by, by people who have catered to unbelief in our lives, and they have, they've given us tacit permission to unbelieve. They've given us permission to, uh, to opt out of the journey somewhere along the line. And I'm asking Holy Spirit right now, would you do a divine miracle? I can't understand, even explain how I see this, but I see this divine miracle where God is taking an eraser and he's beginning to erase all the potential stopping points in your life. And you want to ask him to do that right now. You want to give him permission right now. You want to say, God, mark me for the long run. Mark me for the whole journey. Father, in Jesus' name, I give up my right to stop at any time. I give up my right to have, to have breaks, to be released from the tension of the journey. God, in Jesus' name, all of the conditioning, all of the conditioning by leaders who really were looking to be popular and liked in our eyes. They weren't looking for our journey. Oh, God. Father, in Jesus' name. You know, I don't know how far we're going to get into this message, but I, I tell you what, there is, there is a journey of faith into things unknown and unseen. And, there, and there, is, uh, there has been an opting out by so many people in the body of Christ, but there's a generation that God is about to anoint who have decided, I don't care how frustrating, how much, how much I'm dying, how, much, how hard this is, I know this is true. I know that I'm going forward. Thank you, God. But when we don't understand the value of what we're doing, we begin to ask the question, what are we doing with a spirit of unbelief that undermines our, our momentum forward? 
when we were frustrated by the time that it's taking, when somebody suggested or we suggested that somehow this is going to be a quick journey, I think the worst thing you can do to your kids is tell them, oh, it's not a long ride, you know, when you're driving to Vancouver. (laughs) No, it's really long. Buckle up. (laughs) We start asking the questions, what are we doing when others are not equally engaged? Well, you know, the the church down the road doesn't, doesn't speak in tongues, and they're okay. Well, you know, they only have 60-minute services at that, that you know, drive-through church on the other side of town. Well, you know, they, they don't, when I go to that church, they don't ask me to clap my hands or stand up. I'm just allowed to do what I want. In fact, they, I, can bring, I can drink coffee in the meeting. When there is not, across the board, equal engagement, shared values, we find... We find expressions that meet our appetites because we're told they're equally good. Now, let me tell you something. I don't know what the final stage of this is. I don't know. I don't know what's happening next. I don't know what revival looks like. I don't know what needs to be done yet in my heart. I don't know any of those things, but I'm committed to this one thing. I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping anywhere along the line. I'm not opting out. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to satisfy the need to understand. I'm not going to satisfy the need to not be, you know, uh, in a position that's compromising. You know what's compromising? is being with people that seem to know something you don't know. Let me talk on that for a second because we have mis- mistakenly believed that God is interested in your comfort when it comes to understanding. We mistakenly believe that the measure of what you presently understand and the satisfying your need to understand is the optimum way that God moves you forward when it's actually polar opposite to what the Word of God says. I remember the first time, because I... I've always been a prophetic guy. I've always seen things that others didn't see. I, and, I, and I always challenge people. I, I frustrated people because I say, well, no, this is real. This is, and I would move into the supernatural. And then I started meeting people who were moving further than me. You know what started? You know what happened? I was un, suddenly uncomfortable with them. I don't know if you're valid. What, you, you've been to heaven? You've had dreams, you've had visions, you've had these things happen. Like, what makes you so special? If God, you know, and in my, my first response is, if God was doing that, he would have done it to me first. What is it about us that our experience validates every other experience? Do you find that a little problematic? Can you see the default of that? That it means that... We are the lords of our journey. And yet the Bible says, do not lean on, on your own understanding. So for a long time, I was saved that tension because of my prophetic gifts. And I perceived and saw things. And, and that I, you know, I was the guy at the front of the pack. And then all of a sudden, when there were others in front of me, I, I'm not so sure about them. What if we could believe? Believe. 
What if, what if we could, you see, when you, when you know where you're going, and when the path is completely open and you see clearly, you walk briskly and quickly. What happens now when it's dark and you can't see two feet in front of you, what do you do? You slow down and you start cautiously groping. God is saying, I want you to move with the same kind of boldness you moved in the first year that you were saved. I want you to I want you to press forward now no matter what you don't see. I want you to do so because I have promised you something beyond you. And I want to say right now there's somebody here today that in the recent days your life has kind of you you've gone into neutral. You've gone into Limp mode, they call it for a mecha- as a mechanical term for a, a transmission that's having trouble. You go into limp mode, and all of a sudden you're not going as fast before. It's not because there's something wrong with what's in front of you. It's become because it's become too uncomfortable for the level of faith you presently have. And what God is trying to do is actually to bring you to another level of faith where you can trust him with your journey. Father, the last reason, and there's, there could be more reasons, but we've become uncomfortable because we don't have a sense of the destination. I want to read some scriptures from Philippians. The Apostle Paul was writing about his journey. And uh, the nice thing, that, and the thing we can be assured of is whatever the Apostle Paul, you know, what was a part of his journey that he's exhorting other believers about, we can expect that that's a part of our journey. You think that's safe enough? Yes. So he says, he says some really interesting things. This morning in the first service, I read the, almost the whole chapter, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to jump up to verse 12. And it says in verse 12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Now, for years and years and years, I've heard people preach on that verse. And I've heard them preach in the sense of the application of the exhortation to move forward. Oh, this is just... This is just a scripture to say, you know, keep keep moving forward. You know, if you're uh, if you've been if you've been loving people, well, love them more. If you've been giving, then just keep giving more. If you're going to church, you just keep going to church. But he's actually not talking about that. He is talking about something that's central to what God has called us to be, not what He's called us to do. It's about what He's called us to be. And you, you as a Christian. I mean, I, if, you, if you remember back to when you first became a Christian, you got born again, you came to this church, and you looked around, and you thought, you thought I don't really fit in here. I feel awkward here. But, you know, after a few weeks and months, you, you realize, oh, you know, uh, I'll just sit in the back at first and slowly go, okay, what do they do here? Okay, at this point in the service, they do this. And this point, oh, we, we, it's okay to move here, so let's move. Let's do the right things. Uh, let's twirl some sticks. Let's bang some sticks on the ground. Let's wave a flag. Oh, we, we sing here. And eventually you become familiar with the culture, and that gives you a sense of belonging and a sense of comfort. And you start to, you start to feel, okay, I, I, I got this. Now I'm one of the bunch. And what we've done is we've created an artificial level 
of an accomplishment. We've, we've actually traded the destination that God has given us for a lesser destination. And our destination is I don't want to feel uncomfortable when I come in the building anymore. You know, and there's nothing wrong with get, wanting to get to the place where you don't feel, where you feel com- where, you, where you don't feel uncomfortable anymore. But what if God had something else entirely in mind for you, Father? You know, I feel the squirming because uh, there, the, God is after something in our souls, something that's responsible for stagnation, something that's responsible for the halting of our journeys and our lives, and he's putting his finger on it right now. But he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us so walk. By the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. Now, I should have read a couple of verses earlier, because when he says, not that I've already attained in verse 12, he's talking about something specific. Do you know what it is? The resurrection. What does that mean? Come on, scholars, think about it. What do you know about this right now? I've been a scholar of the word for at least 40 years. Right around 40 years. There are times these days when I'm reading what the apostles wrote and I realize I have absolutely no grid for this. I don't know. I mean, how specific is Paul talking here? When he says, he starts talking about his desire in verse 8, but he finishes it in verse 10. He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained is his next word. What is he talking about? Could it be that there is a revelation, a quantum leap above about what we are supposed to be and what we are attaining to beyond the measurements that have satisfied us thus far. You see, because in the same way we have discomfort about coming into a building we've never come before, and the awkwardness of not knowing where the entrance is and where the washrooms are, whether there's child care, and the awkwardness of not knowing the culture, whether we should behave this way or can behave that way, the cautiousness that that brings to us, yet it's easily satisfied after a couple of months. And when you get born again, you're told, well, you know what, you need to be baptized. You get born, okay, born again, baptized, woohoo, I'm baptized, I'm in, I did the water thing, I'm in. Well, there's more. What? 
There's more. Yeah, you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues. Oh, okay. How do you do that? Well, we don't really know. Believe. <laughs> believe. We'll pray for you, but believe. Okay, do this thing you don't know how to do. That's really uncomfortable. But eventually, something happens, maybe miraculous, maybe out of a, a super kind of death, but now you're speaking in tongues. Woo! I am in. I have fulfilled all the obligations of a Pentecostal club. You know, what, what three requirements? You've got to be born again. You've got to be baptized. You've got you to speak in tongues. Well, check, check, check. I'm in, baby. Well, actually, according to Paul, there's quite a bit more. You have to attain to the resurrection. Did he say how we know when we get there? Pastor Mark, you're making me feel very uncomfortable. I was quite happy with my three check marks. I was quite happy with, you know, I thought, you know, uh, tithing, church attendance, lifting my hands, occasionally even willing to dance, you know. But, but now you're saying there might be more things hidden from me? I'm very uncomfortable. Good. Because when we're not uncomfortable... When we're not frustrated by something we don't know, we've stopped looking forward. You know, one of the things you get with old age is you get so you're, you know what, I'm competent enough in enough things to die. I mean, haven't you noticed that? You know, at some point in people's life, like my dad, it was like VCRs. Okay, Uh, I don't care to learn how to program that thing. And it was symptomatic of something that happened in his whole life. He just stopped learning. Now, for the rest of the journey, I'm just going to do the things I already know how to do. That's a terrible existence, but it is, it is about the same level as most churches. We've told people, these are the four primary things you do to identify as Christian. Once you got them, now you just do that till you die. And the driving force is, well, I, I want to fit in. Oh, you want to fit in. Here's the four things you do to fit in. Once you fit in, oh, keep doing that till you die. Then we get around people who are pressing in to things we don't know. It's like, no, my last pastor told me I was good. I was golden. Are you tithing? Yes, that's all you need. Come to church, tithe. Oh, there there are demonic barriers that the enemy has built with the agreement of unbelief in us that have geared themselves to make us comfortable in our slots, comfortable in our limited roles. But I believe that there's a generation rising that are starting to see things in the word of God that no other generation took with any degree of seriousness. And when Paul was writing about these things, I believe God gave him a revelation 
about a generation that would come into a fullness. I believe when he was writing in Ephesians chapter 4, when he said the fivefold apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers are given until we come to the fullness of stature into the completeness of the faith of the Son of God. I believe he saw a generation that had been impregnated with a spiritual seed, and that seed had not just grown to the place where it was a tiny little leaf sticking out of the ground, but it grew up into fullness. Like, Think about it. Think about it for a second. When you got born again, what did God put inside of you? He put it inside of you a seed. How far along has that seed developed? What he's saying, if you look at it, what he's saying is, is listen, that seed is the eternal nature, the fullness of the Godhead. It is, it is the express image of Jesus Christ. It has the fruit and the power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus manifested in the flesh. That, that same thing, the seed of the word of God, the seed of Jesus, who is the express image of the Father, have been placed into you. What do you think the goal is? Get us to the place where we tithe and go to church? That's the, that's the, well, you know, it's all you can expect. I believe that sonship measured in eternal power, measured in overcoming power. You know, the, the, the apostles talked about a generation that would not see death. Uh, the, the prophets of our day have prophesied, Bob Jones prophesied about a generation that would not see death. And not because their existence coincides with a moment in time that God said was coming, but because of every fullness of the word of God that has been increasing from generation to generation to generation. We are stewards of a metamorphosis from fallenness to the, the, the full manifestation of the image of God in mankind, such that creation will say, wait a minute, the sons of God are arising in the earth our deliverance is near see that's what creation is going to see when it starts to see the fullness here's our problem we don't know what the fullness looks like we don't know I mean when you plant a carrot and that carrot grows up you know when it's oh I think these carrots are done right we can dig them up now potatoes beets all of these things, we've seen the gestation period from, from seed to fruitfulness. We've seen the fullness of the, the cycle. We've seen how trees grow up, and we've seen apple trees. We've seen all these things. The seed of the Word of God is producing something we don't know the end of. So what do we do? Let's create stopping points, make them all equally legitimate, so nobody is ever uncomfortable. And God is saying, what if a generation would grab the essence of the promise to say, I'm not stopping until the fullness. And even if I can't reach the fullness, I'm going to hand the banner of faith off to the next generation at its maximum peak level. Whatever is possible for my life, I am going to preach and share and teach and share 
and release and comfort and encourage into that goal. See, this is what Paul is talking about here in Philippians. Not that I've already attained but, or I'm already perfected. That word perfected is about fullness. When the Bible talks about perfection, it's not talking about, you know, do everything right. It's talking about completeness because the kingdom of God is an organic thing. When God sought to change you, he didn't want you to say, be better, be nicer, be kinder, be more loving. He said, no, you can't be any of those things, but you are as dirt. So I'm going to take a seed and put it in your life. And if we, if you, if you, if you, you know, allow that thing to germinate and grow, it's going to produce according to its DNA. What is the DNA? See, all along church history, we have these versions of what it means to be Christian. Every denomination has this different version. Every culture creates something, but all of those aside, and each one of them, one of them may embody some sliver of the ultimate DNA of that word of God, but all of them collectively and individually fall short of the imagined result that God had when he put a seed inside of you. And basically what God is saying, I'm looking for a generation that will not opt out. Who will not say, you know, I'm a pretty good Christian. I don't care about pretty good Christians. You've been called to more than being a pretty good Christian. You've been called to taste of the powers of the age to come. Are you living in the wake of the powers of the age to come? Or are you stymied by the simplicity of the demand of, you know, I'm not sure I want to go to church anymore. I'm not sure I'm struggling with this or struggling with that. Well, then you just, you're okay. I'm not here to placate our guilt, our fears, our unbelief. I'm here to call us up into something. Because I see a promise. I see something that I don't know what it is, but I know that when I see him, I'll be like him, for I will see him as he is. So my goal is every time I gather, every time I worship, every time I praise, I want to see you. I want to know you. I I desire you, God, because this seed inside of me is only watered and illuminated by the light of your presence and the refreshing vitality of your life poured out on me. What are we doing? What are we doing? We are cultivating a seed. We are, we are, we are coming, well, I thought, you know, we should be doing evangelism. I thought we should be helping the poor. I thought we should be doing these things. Christianity is not a list of behaviors. Behaviors are meant to be a fruit of, an outcome of the planting. So what, what does that mean? It means all the markers are just telling you whether you're on the path or not. Well, I don't feel like going to church anymore. Well, then you're sick. I don't, I don't, I've loved as many people as I can love. I kind of, they annoy me. Well, then you're sick. I'm not sure about this worship and the spirit thing. Well, then you're sick. You're broken. I'm not sure, you know, you can't really totally overcome sin because, you know, we're kind of falling. Well, then you're sick. Like we we got to stop allowing all these excuses to dismiss the calling up. 
There's a calling up, and it's not according to strength. It's not according to you. It's, it's according to a, a willingness to acknowledge the truth. That's all God wants from you. I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to be great. I don't need you to be talented. I don't need you to understand everything. I need you to keep acknowledging the truth, that this is what I called you, and you keep being satisfied with everything beneath. Now, does Paul say, well, you know, uh, you should all be this way? He said, no. He says, look at this, and we're going to move towards a close. He says, verse 16, nevertheless, to the, degree, to the degree that we've already attained, let us so walk. See, we come into the fullness of who he is in degrees. And when you do that, like, I can only love you to the degree that love has matured in me. If somebody says to me, you should love more, I don't care. I'm not rising to that description of, of, of the requirement. The legal requirement of love does not change me or create obligation for me. It only tells me what I've not yet grown into. See, your faith should produce something organic. That's the beauty of it. Well, I should try harder. No, it's not about trying harder. Yes, try enough to stay in the game, but something has happened. Stay in the ground and keep growing. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do what you can do, and you water and you soak in the light. What are we doing here? That. We're creating a, a garden where you can be in the ground and, 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 and grow up. So what does that mean? So, so what do I do? What does that mean practically when, when we're in worship and you say, hey, we should lift our hands. What if I don't want to? <laughs> Sometimes you should just do as you're told. But that's not the end. The end is when you want to. <laughs> we should evangelize. Ah, what if I don't want to? Sometimes you just need to do things even if you don't want to. To the end that God will change your heart and you can't but share the life because you care about the souls of people around you. Christianity is not a list of requirements and behaviors. Plateaus and degrees that we analyze like, okay, what does it look like to be at level six? Okay, oh, that's where you come church to church to pre-service prayer. I guess I, I want to be seen to be a level six Christian. I'm coming to pre-service prayer. Dissolve, Lord, dissolve. Lord, dissolve the artificial Father, dissolve the human-based excuses and platform of effort that comes out of strength, that comes out of guilt, that comes out of fear, that comes out of desire to look good. I'll finish with this. I was thinking about this earlier in the first service. And uh, I had this imagery again and again of the seed. 
the seed, the seed that is planted in your heart. God is, the, the ultimate thing that God wants is he wants to reproduce his son in you. That's the ultimate thing. And to do that, he's put a seed inside of you. So then why do I come to church? Because the church is a greenhouse. The church is a greenhouse. Is the greenhouse important? Yes, but it's not the goal. The greenhouse shields you from inclement weather that will retard the development of that seed. This church, the building, what we do here, it's important. But it's important in as much as it creates room for the seed in your life. The tools that we use to, to garden, they're not the goal, but they're important for bringing you to the goal. Father, I pray today, God, you would revolutionize our idea of church, our idea of fruit, our idea of obedience, our idea of progression, our ideas of destination, our ideas around frustration, our ideas around knowledge, our ideas around lack of knowledge. God, we say we deliver ourselves into your hand and we want to be something we cannot be, something the earth has never seen. That is our goal. Can you say amen? amen. But this is the principal thing God is looking for. He's looking for your resolve to stay in the journey. To stay in the journey. You don't have to understand everything. But if you trust your mother and father that they're driving the car to where it's going to be, that's all you needed when you were a child. And there's something about being childlike in your faith right now that will enable you to do that. Now when I say these things, realize I'm not frustrated with anybody. But I am desirous that we would not miss the high calling that God has for us. I believe this is a forerunning church. I believe, and not because I just have a conviction, but because of the prophetic words that have been delivered to this house again and again, and the words that I received regarding this house before I came, that this is meant to be a garden of God that produces a caliber of believer that is defined as an overcomer. God, we want to be overcomers. God, make me into an overcomer. Lord, change my mind, change my heart, change my desires. God, I say in Jesus' name, yes, transform, transform. Let's just lean into this. I see people laying down, laying down pieces of paper that represent the definitions, your goals. Oh, I need to act like this. I need to look like this. You're laying it down. You're laying it down. You're laying it down saying, God, make me. Make me into what I'm supposed to be. You know, I, I'm just thinking about little children. There's a parallel 
And you know, when little children bring you something that you put on your fridge, you're not going to take that to the Louvre in Paris and try to put it on their wall because you know, you know where it belongs. It belongs on the fridge. But the, the journey of that child, if they're ever going to be a great artist, if they're going to be a world-class artist, they're going to have to break through layer and layer and layer of disillusionment that comes with these words. Oh, you think that's good? You think that's good? Now, we don't do that callously to insult, but the reality is we're trying to bring children in accordance with what they're able to higher and higher levels. And one of the best artists in Alberta might go and spend time with a world-class artist, and the first thing that's going to happen, that world-class artist is going to have to make them realize they're not good. That everything they've done so far is kind of trash. If they're unwilling to face that discomfort, they will not go to the next level. Israel came to the mountain and the glory of the Lord began to manifest and they were made to feel uncomfortable. They were made to feel like they didn't measure up. The gap between the glory of God and who they were began to be so intense and their choice is, I don't want to see perfection then. This is the trajectory of our journey. What do we want? I want to see your glory. You know, this morning I was sharing that Could you imagine if I wrote a list of the five things that I should do every day for my wife and eventually she found that list? You know, it wouldn't be something that would bring pleasure to her heart. She doesn't want a list of things given to me. She just wants my heart fully, truly loving her. And so, Father, I pray that today that you would shift our hearts, that you would help us in the areas. We want to love you, but... There's some hindrances. There's things in the way. And God, we need you to reveal those things that are in the way because our desire is to truly love you, God. Father, when we pray, we want to learn how to just talk with our Father, to care, not out of obligation, not out of duty in any way or form, but just to be with you and love you. And so, Father, I pray for us as a body today that you would make that real in our hearts. Show us where it's out of duty. Show us where we're doing it just to check off a box on our list, God, and help us to make our journey with you authentic, that we truly love you in Jesus' name. Can we say amen?